Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we talk about the other professional sports team here in Charlotte, the Carolina Panthers. They let go of their head coach since 2011 in Ron Rivera. We'll talk a little bit about that. Maybe some of the expectations and the clarity that we want out of the ownership here with the Charlotte Hornets. We'll also play a game. Who's that Charlotte Hornet? Doug, describe some of the stats that have happened the last five games for individual players. I try to guess that player and this. Pooping on the game. I just think there's too much pooping on the game. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. I'm thankful to be back, thankful for Doug to be able to host the last couple of shows. It's been a crazy, not only weekend, because I was as sick as I've been in a long time. Had the fever, had the sweats. I got a fever. Had the mucus. Mm. Had the mucus, had all the gross stuff. Yeah, it was nasty. It was a gross weekend for me. I was sick. My only form of exercise was basically crawling from the couch to the bed to switch my TV watching positions. And that was about it. Pretty brutal weekend. And now, of course, you get back, you get thrown into the fire as far as sports radio goes. And boom, Ron Rivera is fired. (laughs) He gone. And, And then today we have more breaking news. Not only do we have Ron Rivera's exit press conference, but we also have news that Cam Newton is indeed going to have surgery. So the Carolina Panthers are just dropping news all over the place. So how many, what did you guys, you guys talked Hornets on the radio for what? 10 minutes, uh, (laughs) 20 minutes, zero. Oh, Doug, we did not mention the Hornets. Not one second today. Here we go again. The media impacting the way we view. (laughs) I asked Bobby Marks about this. Uh, The media impacts the way we view small market teams. We can't even get our small market talking about the small market team. I imagine that most people that listen to this podcast that are fans of the Hornets, I would imagine a lot of them, maybe most of them are fans of the Panthers as well. Ron Rivera, after becoming a part of the team in 2011, being fired yesterday, having his exit press conference today, the press conference, Doug, I, I would, this is something I would be interested to get your opinion on because it was a very weird press conference to watch. And I don't know if you got to see any clips of it whatsoever, but I expected something totally different than what we got. Ron Rivera had a press conference at 815 this morning, basically just to address everything that he had gone through with the organization and to address the media, take some questions about his time there. And I expected something crazy somber. I expected not a retirement ceremony because I expect Ron to be a head coach in the league again. And he certainly expects himself to be a head coach after what we heard today. It was more about all of the accomplishments and his chest pounding that I'm tired of hearing all of the mediocrity criticism that I've gotten over the last couple of weeks and longer than that. And I have three division titles. He was very sure to be uh, emphatic about his three back to back to back division titles in a row that he doesn't he doesn't get why everybody he put says his re- he, he put his resume that. up on a on a projection oh. screen i feel like that oh, was a little odd God. and then he started rolling he had a highlight reel made that was odd uh, you don't oh, feel like he had a laser he was pointing out everything <laughs> that he did schematically man on, it man. was it seemed and, and not to put this out there on twitter that it seemed like it was an interview for his next job and 
And it absolutely seemed like that. Just a very weird press conference to see from Ron. Not that I ha- actually had a huge problem with a lot of the stuff that he did, because I think he wasn't disrespectful to David Tepper. He wasn't disrespectful to the Carolina Panthers or any player that he had ever coached. I don't think he was disrespectful in any manner. He just was really feeling himself. And I think he was mad that he was fired. Understandable human emotion, right? To get fired and get angry because of it. I think we can all, I think we can all, uh, I think we can all relate to that. I just, it was, it was weird, man. So I've, I've had my mind all caught up in the Carolina Panthers spectrum of things because that's all we talked about today. It's all we talked about yesterday after the loss to Washington and after the loss of the head coach that had been here since 2011. I think what's interesting to me is less the Ron Rivera side. And here's where I can tie this back into the Charlotte Hornets, but the, the owner, <laughs> were you looking for that segue? Pretty oh, with, I was, did you get I your was, magnifying glass? I was, I was searching. I was getting my laser pointer out trying Sorry. to figure out where we were going here. Um, it's okay. You've, you've had a couple of, a couple of days off. I mean, I get it. You're getting back into the groove. I listen, I enjoyed it. I'll just say that. I mean, I was, I was hoping that you would get well soon ish, but I enjoyed just having the microphone, just being able to say whatever I wanted, listening to the sound of my own voice, getting all of Mm. my opinions, vomiting them. And no one could do anything. I felt such control. Like no one could do anything about it. And I love that aspect. I imagine Katie hated me because of that. Hated you as well, but just the kind of normal hate she has for you when you spill your opinions. But there hadn't been anybody to stop you on the podcast, so I'm sure you walked around with a little extra pizzazz in your step. Oh, she hated it. Yeah, she has to hear me every day anyway. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, the the little bit of reprieve she gets is when she pops on the podcast and gets to hear your voice. And then, nope, just all me. Honey, listen Listen to this take I had. <laughs> listen to this take on Devontae Graham. And they're just like Kimba. And they're exactly the same. Unbelievable. Uh, so I want to go back to Tepper, though, the owner of the Carolina Panthers. Um, basically, I mean, well, first of all, the fact that the owner speaks is a big difference between how the Panthers are running things right now and how the Charlotte Hornets are running things. I mean, you rarely hear from Michael Jordan unless it is some kind of uh, charity function or or something good that he's doing for the community where he actually has to get out and face cameras. And he doesn't really love talking about uh, the team necessarily. Uh, so that's a big difference to me. And, and I think Tepper was pretty honest about, you know, what a rebuild would look like for the Carolina Panthers and basically questioning, could could fans deal with that? Could they deal with what it takes and how bad you have to get in the NFL in order to rebuild your team. And he was, it just, it struck me as honest about what was in front of this franchise, the difficulty and the decision that they have to make. And I just feel like the Hornets, on the other hand, have, they, they're certainly retooling. They're certainly moving the franchise in, in a, in a certain direction, but I'm still nervous about like, will this franchise suddenly jerk the wheel again and trade for Andre Drummond or go after DeMar DeRozan like I'm nervous because I don't, and I think I speak for a lot of fans. I don't have clarity necessarily because I haven't heard it from the owner. I've heard it from Mitch Kupchak, kind of, but I, I don't have clarity as to where this franchise is going, and and it makes me nervous. And it's more so you need more clarity within the NBA structure because football and basketball are completely different as far as how quick it takes to rebuild a team. Basketball takes a little bit longer. Because you need a star and you need now a couple of stars if you want to even get to a conference finals. In football, you can win in a bunch of different ways. And this is exactly how the salary cap works in football. Because you have a salary cap, because you have a hard cap, the NFL, it's really tough to get ahead. 
and unless you're the New England Patriots and stay ahead every single season. In the NBA, you it's not like that. You have to get a couple of stars. You know, you have the max contracts. The players can you know sign the the big ass deals and go to the big markets and yada yada. It just doesn't necessarily work that way in the NFL. So the NFL can actually have teams rebuild a little bit more. And so to your point, Doug, these owners in the NBA, you think they would provide a little bit more clarity. Like, no guys, seriously, this is going to be pretty tough. Now in the Charlotte Hornets case it actually is a little bit better than we anticipated heading into this year. Like it, it's not as painful as a lot of people would have said. It still is pretty uncertain on exactly what the future is going to bring us. We like PJ Washington right now, but are we afraid about him kind of taking on a Miles Bridges increase in responsibility in his sophomore year and floundering? And I wouldn't say Miles Bridges floundered, but certainly struggling to bring on a little bit more responsibility and putting a little bit more on his plate. Does that happen with PJ Washington? Is this the real Devontae Graham or is he successful because they haven't gotten anybody else good enough to really be the guy that can lead this team? You know, I there are a lot of questions to ask about this team. Here's one question that I have. Uh, did you see Bismack Biombo hit the Euro step? Oh, I did. baby. <laughs> I did see that. And I thought about, <laughs> I didn't know what to put out there because this has been in your bio. This is your Twitter bio. This is what has been a part it's of your Twitter bio as long life. as I've known you. It's been a big part of your life, mm-hmm. which is again, a big part of your Twitter bio. It's going to be as on long my, as I've known you. It's going to be on my epithet, my, my tombstone. Doug saw Biz hit two Euro steps. We may be updating that because Biz is looking good right now. Looking confident on the offensive end. It might be three Euro steps. I don't know before I perish and leave this world. Well, did it bother you that Eric Collins was saying and Del Curry were saying that they had never seen that from Biz before? They were saying that that had never happened because oh, it, it bothered did. me. It bothered me tremendously yeah, I, because I it, it did. Well, okay, Eric, I get Eric. I don't think Eric was around then, but yeah. Dell certainly it. Well, you know, it bothers me because it was a part of my life. And, and this is, you know, when something is that deeply a part of your life and then you ask somebody about it, it's like a movie. Oh, did you see Pulp Fiction? Oh, no, I haven't seen Pulp Fiction. You're like, oh, my God, you have to see Pulp Fiction. So there's mm-hmm. that aspect of it. Um, but also, you know, I give Dell a little bit of leeway because that season was so awful that maybe he's tried to purge it from his mind. But also, that was the highlight of it. And so, how does he not remember the sole highlight of a season that was so awful, which know. was the Biz Euro step? Mm. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash LockedOnNBA, all one word, listening on the go. If you can't visit Audible right now, you can't find this, and you can, excuse me, find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Again, LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things that uh, I saw from this weekend regarding the Charlotte Hornets, and they were also their, their medication-induced takes. So that's going to be fun to talk about. Yep, stick around for the second segment here on the Locked On Hornets podcast. NyQuil takes. <laughs> they are NyQuil takes. NyQuil notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. This is Locked On Hornets. 
I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to be back. Great to be back on the show. (laughs) It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. So I thought this might have been a medication-induced dream that I had about the Hornets getting destroyed the way they did against the Milwaukee Bucks. But no, I see that's true now. 137-96, I don't think we got a chance to talk about that game, Doug, nor did we get a chance to talk about the game against the Phoenix Suns, where the Hornets had yet another... I mean, I don't know if it's an epic late game collapse, but it was still pretty bad. We have seen a couple of late game collapses from them against Washington. The Chicago one absolutely was epic. And this one against Phoenix, I mean, it, it's it didn't rise bad. to the level of epic for me because we had the con- it's all about context, yeah. right? We had the Chicago. I mean, Chicago was epic. I mean, when you give up that many th- 13 mm-hmm. three pointers to Zach Levine and then they score you know, five points right there in, the, in, a, in a matter of seconds. I mean, that's that's pretty epic. This one was disturbing because part of the reason they lose this game is that you don't block out Frank Kaminsky on on a free throw miss. I mean, that's awful. And Borrego was sure to bring that up. Borrego, when asked, can you put this game on youth? He said, no, absolutely you can't. That That's a fundamental that is taught at the very beginning stages of you learning how to play basketball we need to box out. I mean, yeah. that's just a, that's a classic example of just not knowing where you are on the court, not putting in enough effort. Box out. I and mean, it's easy to do. It's what the fat guy at the YMCA can do. Box out if you can't do anything else. And yet they they didn't do it. And it was a three after that, right? It was Kelly Oubre that hits the three after Frank Kaminsky's able to corral his own offensive miss, his own uh, his own miss, and get the offensive rebound. So right. Frank Kaminsky, of course, you know. Of course, it's Frank Kaminsky, right? And then it's Kelly Oubre hitting a couple threes at the end of this game to help put this game on ice for the Phoenix Suns. If it had been reversed, the Hornets would have been fine. If they had not blocked out Kelly Oubre and Oubre had found Kaminsky in the corner for three, (laughs) then we're talking W. Yeah, Borrego also has gotten really frustrated and really angry with the way that this team starts. I think we had talked with Rick Bunnell, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Doug, where Rick said, James Brago was really angry. And I think it was after the Miami heat game about the defense. And he is going to find a rotation. He is going to find a lineup that plays good enough defense to put out there on the floor. And so we had already seen him get a little testy there. Then we saw Borrego in the post game press conference after this game against the Phoenix suns display some anger. And so now we're starting to see Borrego. His patience is starting to run thin a little bit. And I'll be interested to see if there's anything he can do because we saw him kind of, I think, leave Dwayne Bacon on the outside looking in, continue to not get a whole lot of minutes. I think there was, was it this game, Doug, you thought that he was kind of active defensively against the Phoenix Suns or was it the game against the Milwaukee Bucks? You thought he was a little bit more active. No, I think Bacon responded defensively in this game against the the Phoenix Suns. I thought, he, yeah, yeah he just showed a a level of defensive energy and energy on the boards, too. I mean, that's, to me, that's been the br- biggest criticism I've had of Dwayne Bacon. I mean, the, the shooting struggles are well-documented. We've talked a lot about those, and, and it's it's difficult, you know, I think, when an off when a person, when a player like Dwayne Bacon, who, who fuels a lot of his game through his offense, and I think he was given a lot of offensive responsibility early in the year, and to fail to accomplish that, I think, probably affected him in ways that we don't fully understand. 
But what what disturbed me is like give give some effort on the boards. Like that's one area where you're a big enough guy. Like we talk about his size for that position. You're a big enough guy where you can impact the game in a significant way, and you're just not doing it. And so to see him uh, give a little bit more effort in those areas, I think will result in more playing time for him in the future. Borrego, I I started to talk about this and then I got sidetracked. But Borrego also talked about the start of the games and how bad they are for the Hornets. And you look at this game against Phoenix, the Hornets allow 28 points to the Suns right out of the gate. You look at the game against Milwaukee, they allow 32 points right out of the gate against Milwaukee. You want to say, okay, it's Milwaukee, whatever. Well, even the two games that the Hornets won against Detroit, which they own Detroit at this point, it's crazy to see them continue to win the close games that they do. But even the games against Detroit, the Hornets allow 37 points to Detroit in the second game. And then in the first game of the back-to-back that they played, not consecutively in nights, but just the, the way that they had the home-and-home home series, the Hornets allowed 32 points right out of the gate against Detroit. This is what the Hornets do. They are going to allow you to get 30 to open up the game, and it's going to be up to the Hornets whether they can claw back and find themselves in a position to win at the end of this. And that's... So while we talk about the game against Chicago, where again, they allowed over 30 points to be scored by the Chicago Bulls. Okay, it's pretty clearly the ending because of how miraculous that loss was given the circumstances. But Borrego is right to get angry about the way that this team starts games every single time they go out there. Here, it's you just spot the team 30 points every single time and you got yourself at least one half of the score when watching a Hornets game. It's difficult, and a lot of it is actually like you you look at 30 points in a quarter and you say, wow, defense didn't really step up and lock down in that quarter. And actually, if you watch a lot of these games, the Hornets are not executing offensively, and they're turning the basketball over, and they're making it very easy for the other team to score. Something is not translating between – the, the walkthroughs, the, some practices in between a couple of these games where they prepare and, and get themselves ready to take on the next team. Like something is not translating because they keep turning the basketball over. They keep making careless passes. I don't know if that's a, you know, as Borrego says, is that, a, is that an urgency thing? Is that a professionalism thing? Or, or is just something not clicking with that starting unit when they step out onto the floor and and turn the basketball over 10 times in the first quarter. I mean, that's that's going to be difficult to come back from. So I believe I have this right. I went back through all the games they played recently, and they allowed 28 points to the Phoenix Suns in the first quarter. That was on Monday. That was December 2nd. The last time they only allowed 20 points, or I, I should say the last time they allowed under 30 points in the first quarter was against Brooklyn on November 20th. So in between those two games, they allow the Milwaukee Bucks to score 30, Detroit twice, Miami, Chicago, and the Washington Wizards. I Every single time they go out there, it's going to be close to 30. And so I think that's what's interesting about Borrego or getting so angry and, and focusing while you do have some late game collapses in these situations. Borrego was focusing a little bit more on the start in these situations. And the Hornets, by the way, uh, if you look at the first quarter, the Hornets are uh, 29th in the league in turnovers at four and a half. They're tied with Cleveland and then Atlanta right above them at 4.3. The only team turning it over more uh, are the Houston Rockets. 
But that team's 13-7 and seven because they can just score a jillion points. It doesn't matter that they're turning the basketball over because they have such elite scoring on that team. But Cleveland, Atlanta, uh, again, Los Angeles 26 because they're turning the ball over a lot. It doesn't matter because they have superior talent. Pelicans at 25, Detroit at 24. Bad teams turn the ball over in the first quarter. Elite teams do it as well, but it doesn't matter because they have elite talent. <laughs> Doug, one other thing I think that I, I noticed, just just one thing I feel like I noticed as much as any that's a recurring theme that I noticed again this weekend, Terry Rozier needs to be playing off ball. He's just better that way. I, everything that Terry Rozier does best for this team to help them win and what he is as his best self as a basketball player is allowing Devontae Graham to be the primary ball handler, him come off screens and jack up sh- and jack up shots. You know, have catch and shoot three opportunities off ball. Terry Rozier has actually done a pretty good job scoring the basketball. Now, if you want to talk about that's not what they paid him to do. Does he need to expand his game? Is this the type of season where you allow him to experience some other things? Because we don't necessarily care so much about the wins and the losses, even though it seems to be wearing a little bit thin again on Borrego. Of course, he wants to win. I think we all want to win when we're in the moment. You know, I, I get all of that, but at the same time, what Terry Rozier has demonstrated to me that is that he is best served offensively, you know, playing off ball. And Devontae Graham needs to be a primary ball handler. Malik Monk, when he's in the game with Terry, you know, I just Terry doesn't make the sound decision every single time in pick and roll. We've talked about that a lot. You know, he doesn't shoot well. It, it, his shot selection is bad when he brings the ball up court. It, it, off ball Terry, I, I'm cool with. It, it's it's on ball Terry that has me a little bit scared. Well, and that, over the past five to ten games, the Hornets have realized that too. And they're, you know, you you've seen Devontae Graham. He's he's one of the league leaders in assists right now because the ball, you know, distribution is running through him. And uh, Terry doesn't have that pressure to get others involved. All he has to do is play good defense, and then on the other end, they're running. I mean, they're running action for him off ball. There's one uh, particularly nice play where they run him underneath the basket baseline and then set a cross screen for him to get him open in the corner for three. They run it uh, almost twice a game. They run it really early, probably their third or fourth play of the game, and then they, they'll sometimes run it late to get him a, a three-point shot. And to his credit, he's knocked them down. I mean, I, if you told Boston fans right now what his three-point percentage is over the past 10 games, they would be shocked, shocked, because he wasn't doing that in Boston. He wasn't knocking them down like he is both pull up and catch and shoot. Um, do we have time to mention a couple of other things before we go to break, Doug? Uh, go for it. Hornets play the Warriors tonight. That's exciting. They get another chance to win a ball game. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that in the third segment. If you wanted to talk a little bit more about the Bobby Marks interview, because I know you thought it was interesting when Bobby said that he thinks the media is having an impact on NBA ratings. He admitted it. And the way that we cover it. So... Uh, if you don't mind, refresh me. I did listen to the Bobby Marks interview. I did not listen to you and Rick yet. I did listen to you and Bobby. How dare you? Yeah, not yet. I apologize about that. But with you and Bobby, I I know Bobby did think that media was having a little bit of an impact on the way that NBA ratings were affected. What did you think of Bobby's answer? I thought it was uh, honest. I thought it was really um, the only answer that you can give if you're being honest about the situation. And And this isn't just last season or the season before that. I'm talking about the media's impact over the course of the, the last 10 years on on how small to medium-sized markets are treated, number one, and number two, how teams that are trying to win basketball games you know, and not 
necessarily going after title contention by going after the number one draft pick. Yeah, I think the process changed so much in terms of how we view teams. And, um, and, and I think the NBA's media partners have to do a better job of, one, highlighting storylines from across the NBA and making those storylines part of the in-game broadcast of the pregame. Uh, uh, the announcers have to do a better job of highlighting some good things that are happening in all kinds of markets and stop pooping on the game. I just think there's too much pooping on the game. That's my thought. I think it, uh, yeah, I think it has a lot to do with rings culture as well. Right. I mean, because if, unless you have a chance to win a championship, then your success is not measured in a way that gets a lot of attention out there nationally. And you brought up the Indiana Pacers, the Indiana Pacers just continue to make the postseason. It doesn't matter what kind of roster they have. You know, they've only made the finals one year, and that was in 2000 when they played the Los Angeles Lakers. That was the first of Kobe and Shaq's championship. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat and had a couple of epic battles with them, a seven-game series with the Miami Heat that one season. And the Indiana Pacers continue to find ways, whether it's with Paul George and David West, whether whether it's, you know, Reggie Miller and Jalen Rose, whether it's Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal and those guys, right? Like they, they, they find different ways to continue to get there and the Indiana Pacers don't get a lot of love. Or if you look at, you know, San Antonio's out here winning championships. So that's one small market that was able to kind of get your attention that way. But unless you're winning championships, you know, the success of the the Pacers isn't going to get recognized, right? The Hornets aren't a great example, but you know, I just wonder where we are going to be with the Bucks, right? If if the Bucks don't make it past an Eastern Conference Finals, and then Giannis goes to L.A. or when the free agency hits for him, Giannis decides to go to a bigger market. You know, are we going to look back as at the Bucks and say, you know, what they weren't as covered as much as we thought they should be? And and I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the way that you know we it's just rings culture, right? All we care about is championships. And then of course that leads to the load management thing where Kawhi is like, okay, you're only going to evaluate my legacy based on rings. Then yeah, I'm going to make sure I'm ready for the postseason. No, I totally agree. And I think uh, the game is more talented than it's been in a long time. I think the game is more fun to watch than it has been in a long time. And I don't get that sense when I watch inside the NBA, when I watch the broadcast on ESPN. I just don't, I don't get, I don't feel like there's a love of the game from some of the elite members of the media of this game. Not, it's not Bobby Marks's fault. I think Bobby yeah. Marks and, and I think Zach Lowe, and I think there are others that do their best to highlight what's going on in the rest of the country. Um, but I, I think that the NBA has to take some responsibility for that. Yeah, you got to listen to podcasts to get love from the grit and That's grind right. grizzlies. Like the Locked On Podcast to, Network. You know what I'm saying? You got to listen. You got to listen to podcasts to get some of the love for the Portland Trailblazers actually Locked making on the Western Blazers. Conference Finals. I don't know how we got the MC Dougie B coming out, but I kind of dug it for a little bit. I'm the That's NBA. The I'm by the way, I'm the uh-huh. NBA channel coordinator for the Locked On Podcast Network. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm having I'm listening to all of these podcasts, and I'm just gonna say like the Locked On Podcast Network, the NBA yeah. side has some of the best podcasts, just in terms of quality analysis. Uh, I was listening to Locked On Warriors uh, to get a little bit of insight into what's going on there, and Charles Hamilton and Wes Goldberg, they just fantastic job covering the league. 
All right, let's listen to Hammy and Goldberg next as we break down some of their thoughts on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. Develop winning habits. You know what winning habits are? Scoring things in the box score. That's what winning habits are. You compete. Rebounds, when you, assists. Yeah, when you compete, points. you get rebounds. When you compete, you get assists. When you compete, you score points. It's not you about effort. The it's about competing. <laughs> Hey, you wanted me back on the show, baby. I got you, Doug. You wanted me back on the show. This is me. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Usually we go to your little black notebook on some things about the Hornets, but we can't do that with a game that hasn't happened yet. But what you did do, Doug, is you said you listened to Locked on Warriors as you were plugging the Locked on podcast network. What were some of the things you picked up from Locked on Warriors about what we should be paying attention to tonight? Well, I mean, obviously the Warriors are still ailing. Uh, no Steph Curry, probably no Draymond Green. He's uh, still still dealing uh, with some injury issues, possibly no D'Angelo Russell. I mean, they're just a team that has no star power right now, and they're having to depend on a lot of rookies. Uh, I have one stat here, Walker, and if, if someone was frozen at the conclusion of last year's NBA Finals, if their body and mind were cryogenically frozen, and then you unfroze them yesterday, here is the statistic that I would lay on them to get them to understand what's going on with the Warriors and what's going on with this game. As they were defrosting, I would tell them, according to NBA.com stats, the rookies for the Warriors are averaging 34 points per game, the highest in the league this season. In contrast, last season, Golden State was tied with Toronto at 28th at 2.4 points per game. So they are having to lean on guys like Kai Bowman, undrafted, Eric Pascal, Pascal the Rascal. Actually, it's, I don't think it's Pascal. I think it's Pascal. Eric Pascal. They're having yeah, to depend on him. Up. 40, what's that? I think you Frenched that up a little bit. That's, well, I just, you know, it, I think I fancied it up. Eric Pascal. Yeah, well, that's so. not, that's a bad Italian accent. I think you should think. About Is that it. what I just, did I just do Italian? I think you just did a, yeah, a fake Italian accent. No, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to put a little spice on it. I was tr- I was trying to fancy up his name, and you tried to uh, put it in meat sauce. Um, so Eric <laughs> Pascal has been uh, incredible. He was forty first overall pick last uh, in the last draft. So they're getting huge contributions, but it just means that they're playing guys like Willie Cauley Stein. They're playing guys like Glenn Robinson the third, and they've lost the past three games. Two of them very big losses. Yeah, pretty crazy to see the Warriors and where they are right now because they're awful. Um, And their main objective really isn't to win games right now. And you're going to have all those guys come back next season. Who knows if the Warriors are going to trade D'Angelo Russell. Certainly has been reported that that's going to happen. But I mean, they got beat by the Atlanta Hawks 104 to 79. And Atlanta's not good. A lot of people thought Atlanta was going to be good this season. Not not. this guy. No, nope, well, of course. You I didn't believe are, in Atlanta. I don't believe in New York. I don't believe in Chicago. I don't believe in Sacramento. I don't mm-hmm. believe in Detroit. Yep. I believe in Charlotte. I'll tell you that much. Go Hornets. Did you believe in Dallas? I believe in Dallas because I believe in Luca. Right. I know. Doncic, that baby. Was <laughs> I was I was on the Doncic train early. I'm up at the I'm I'm up at the lead part of the train. Whatever that part's. I'm not at the caboose. Uh, whatever the opposite of the caboose is, that's the part of the train that I'm on when it comes to Luka Doncic. Choo-choo, baby. Yeah, the Warriors' last win came against the Chicago Bulls. And then the other win came against the Grizzlies, who are, of course, really young. 
They beat the Portland Trailblazers who were struggling. This was pre-mellow Portland Trailblazers. Then they beat the Pelicans at the beginning of the season. They have four wins on the year, four and 18. Crazy to see where the Warriors are. And by the way, this so this is what it looks like when a team gets bad very quickly. People thought this was going to happen to the Charlotte Hornets, and I kept trying to tell everyone they have too many veterans. And it's not their fault. that they, Well, it is their fault. They signed the veterans. But it's they tried to move those veterans. I mean, they've tried to move Nick Batum in the past. They probably tried to move Marvin Williams in the past, and they couldn't do it. They ended up with Bismack Biombo as a result of a series of dominoes that fell their way, and they ended up with $17 million on the books. But they've got too many players that know how to play basketball. The Warriors right now have too many players that don't know how to play basketball. And that's why they got so bad so quickly. I knew Charlotte wasn't going to do that. Uh, But they're also playing a lot of young players uh, a lot of minutes. And you're going to have difficult times like you did against Phoenix. But I fully expect Charlotte to get the win here against the Warriors. And if the if the Hornets are smart and they stay patient and they don't go after DeMar DeRozan, they don't go after D'Angelo Russell, and they don't go after Andre Drummond, then they'll get bad quickly as some of those veterans start to drop off the, the roster. Now, Rick Bennell did also suggest to you in your interview with him, Doug, that maybe it would be time to start a veteran like a Marvin Williams. I know you don't want to go seek a veteran via trade, which I completely agree with, but do you think it might be time to start a veteran, put him like a Marvin Williams in the starting lineup? Do you think that would make some sense? Well, only from the perspective of if it gets you off to a better start in a game. I mean, if it fixes a problem and it seems like, yeah, getting maybe getting Marvin in there. The the problem with getting Marvin is that is that you have to sit PJ because you really do. You saw it against Phoenix. You needed miles in there to take on, Uh, to take on Devin Booker or to take on whoever, you know, he'll probably be matched up with Eric uh, Paschal in this game. So you need Miles in there. It's just the pieces aren't quite right with this team to get Marvin back into the starting lineup. But, you know, I think the Hornets are, honestly, the Hornets are just going to have to suffer and hope that they can can figure something out with the current starting lineup that they have. And I, I think Biz is going to remain in the starting lineup. All right. Did you want to play this game with me or are we done with time today? Did you want to play the game where there are stats for Hornets players and I have to guess who they are? Or do you want to wrap it up? No, I think we should because these numbers are going to change. I did all the work to, you know, get these numbers. That's true. All right, go ahead. Let's play. Let's play all right. Again. So I've got some stats here from the last five games that the Hornets have played. I'm going to read you the stats and then you see if you can guess who the player is. Are you right. ready? Yep, I'm ready. 45% from the field, 59% from three who that player in the last and and this is the last five games you don't listen i mean you know that you come you you take two days off uh and then you come in and you don't listen to a word i said yes last five games um i'm gonna go with uh well cody zeller hadn't been playing as much i was gonna think maybe it was a big guy 45 Um, percent from the field 59 percent from three Marvin Williams. Actually, that's scary Terry. He has been tearing it up over the past five games. 59% from three. I'm telling you, that would shock anyone that followed him in Boston. All right, next one. We got to go through these quick. 10 points, seven rebounds, one block, one assist. I'm going to go with Bismack. That is correct. I put that in there just for you. I'm sure you did. Filling up the box score. Winning habits, baby. Ten points, seven (laughs) rebounds. Is that what filling up a box score? Oh, filling it up. One assist? 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> All right, this one you'll love. Highest defensive win shares over the last five games for the Charlotte Hornets and lowest defensive rating of any regular rotation player. Who that player? Highest defensive shares and lowest defensive rating. Correct. So, I mean, by those <laughs> metrics, if you were just to take those metrics, you would say, wow, this has been the best defensive player for the Charlotte Hornets over the past five games. Yeah. Um, over the last five games, I would say, hey, is that Marvin Williams? That is not Marvin Williams. That is Dwayne Bacon. Okay. There you go. Good job, Dwayne. All right. Final one here. Seven points on 29% shooting and 19% from three over the past five games. Probably Malik. He's not been very good. That's correct. You got, you went two for two there. Yeah. Malik Monk. He has uh, struggled trying to find Mm -hmm. his way. Although you heard from Rick yesterday, the, the coaching staff, not necessarily concerned with that. They feel like he's doing the things that he's being asked to do, except for putting the ball in the, in the hole. All right. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And you can follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back to recap the Golden State Warriors game tomorrow here on the Lockdown Podcast Network.